About 7 o'clock this morning, I was sitting in my study room and got a phone call from Richie Cooper, who's director of our properties here. He takes care of his, his team, takes care of all of our properties during the week. And he said the, the air conditioner was not on. And thinking maybe it was a fluke, uh, we, uh, he went up to try to get it going again, and it just wouldn't stay on. So in the space of about 90 minutes, our staff and volunteers helped move everything from the worship center here. And I think that's really cool, and I want to say thank you to our volunteers. Our staff. And uh, they made it look good, like it was set up all the way through this. And so I'm really, really grateful for their hard work and what they did to make it possible for us. I know it's different. You may or may not be comfortable. Uh, I had several people come and say, I think I kind of like this. And, um, but you wouldn't after a week or two. We, we, uh, we, we don't like anything for too long, do we? So I want to encourage you to find in your Bible the passage we're going to spend the most time on today is found in Romans chapter 5. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we are in a study of nine words that I believe every Christian ought to know. And as we study on Sunday morning, we have groups that are meeting in homes during the week, and they're taking these words and these studies in Bible study groups, and they're taking them even deeper. Our word today is reconciliation. Reconciliation, and the subtitle is He Ends the War. Reconciliation, He Ends the War. Father's Day is probably a really appropriate day to do this, and I think if we go through this study, you'll see why. There are a lot of cool reasons why it's great to be a guy today. One of them is because it's Father's Day. Let me give you some other reasons. You may not be a father, but there's, there's at least six other great reasons to be a guy. Phone conversations usually take less than 30 seconds. I'm just saying, number two. You can quietly watch a ball game with another guy for hours without ever thinking he must be mad at me. <laughs> One guy said, yeah. Number three, if another guy wears the same thing as you do to a party, you just might become lifelong friends. <laughs> Number four, you're not expected to know the names of more than five colors. Number five, you can use the same hairstyle for years, maybe decades. Number six, one wallet, one pair of shoes, one color, all season. I think that's a good thing. I don't know what your relationships are like at home. Sometimes we celebrate occasions like this in a church on Father's Day, but for you, it may be a challenge because of your relationship with your dad. It may not be that that storybook relationship that, that we, we tend to think about when we think of these special occasions. But the relationship I want to talk about today is a relationship not with your earthly father, but with your heavenly father. Each week as we take this word, we're really looking at a different facet of salvation, what it means to be a Christian or a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. This word reconciliation is particularly special. And so as we've done, in the previous weeks, we're going to ask three questions. What is reconciliation? We're going to ask for the definition of the word. What does this word, reconciliation, tell us about God? And the third one is, why, why does it matter? Why should it matter to my life? 
And so I frame these questions around it so that we can understand it in that way. And in that way, this word that you hear spoken of in church or in Sunday school, I pray, will take on personal significance to you. Sometimes we use these words in songs like we did last week, we talked about redemption, and we, we sing them and we talk about them. But if someone really presses, can you explain to me what that word means? We might be at a loss. So today, the first question is, what is reconciliation? What is reconciliation? Well, let's, let's think about the normal way we, we think of that word. Two friends are, are close. They get along well. For whatever reason, they have an argument. And their friendship is not dissolved, but there is definitely a problem. And their relationship is broken. And there's some distance between them, emotional distance. They're not talking the way they used to talk together. They're not hanging out the way they used to hang out together. And depending on the nature of the, the offense, this may run really deep and can last a long time. How many of you have ever known close friends who maybe haven't spoken to each other for years? Well, you don't have to raise your hand because they might know what you're talking about. Don't, don't do that. But, but that person may come to mind. And, and so it happens. Relationships can get broken and, and people can have this distance between them. And there's a need at that point for reconciliation. Well, if it was something somebody said, then what we said is I'm thinking about it, if I, if I was the one at fault, I may think about it, and I, I may think, you know, this person's my friend. I, I really like them. I care about them, and I realize that what I said was really wrong. It, it was hurtful, and it hurt them, obviously. And whether I meant it or not, it doesn't matter. I just realized it hurt them, so I, I decide in my mind I'm going to go to my friend and say, look, I'm sorry for what I said. And I want to take it back. And in essence, the hope of reconciliation occurs when the thing that caused it is removed. It might be something I said. It might be something I did. Maybe a promise that I broke. Money that I owed. I don't know what caused the breach in the relationship. But when I remove the cause of that hostility, that relationship can be restored. So the key is to identify the root cause. If you're having a problem in a relationship with someone, you want to search out what is the root cause and the source of the hostility because that's what has to be removed. That's what has to be taken away. Reconciliation cannot happen unless we take it away. Otherwise, if you just sort of say, I'm sorry, and uh, you know you should say you're sorry, and, but you haven't dealt with the cause, you just say, I'm sorry. You haven't dealt with the cause. Your friend says, because good Christians are supposed to forgive, they say, well, I forgive you. But the cause was never dealt with. And so every time you get together, even though officially, verbally, maybe you said, I'm sorry, and they said, I forgive you, there is an elephant in the room. Isn't that cute elephant? There's an elephant. Thank you. There's an elephant in the room. Okay? So I'm going to put that elephant right there. And so what happens in this relationship, if the source or the root of the, of the problem is not removed, that elephant's always there. And so you may on the surface talk together, smile, exchange pleasantries, maybe even do some things together. There's something still broken. There's still distance between you and that other person. Because there's an elephant in the room. You have to remove the source or the cause of the hostility for reconciliation to take place. 
And that has all kinds of practical applications for you and for me in relationships. But it becomes particularly important when we talk about our relationship with God. Here's the definition. Okay, you may or may not be able to see it on the screen. But here it is. It's longer than the ones we've been using. It is, first, the removal of the source of hostility between two or more people. The removal of the source. But not all. It's also the establishment of a new relationship between them. Let me read it now. The removal of the source of hostility between two or more people. And the establishment of a new relationship between them. Now, sometimes the source of the, the breakup, the source that, that created the need for reconciliation, the source of ourselves, sometimes you can't take it away. Let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, in a place um, called Brimham Rocks, it's a park in northern England, the Brimham Rocks are stacks of limestone that have been on cliffs and on ledges and on different parts of this park. Geologists say for over 300 million years. And they're old. But they've been worn by erosion and floods and air and wind and whatever. They've been worn and there are these stones and they're just balanced there all throughout this park. And, and two weeks ago, five people went to one of those rocks. There's a picture on the screen. Remember, is it there? There it is on the left side of the screen, if you can see it. Big old multi-ton boulder on the edge of a cliff. Just balanced there. Five people went up to it and pushed it off the cliff. And destroyed it. It broke, shattered, hit the side of the cliff, scarred the cliff. Over 300 million years old. Now, I don't know if it's that old. But it destroyed something, and guess what? It can't be repaired. It can't be fixed. Now, there's other rocks in the park, but that one's done. I mean, you think of all of human history. That rock was sitting there on that cliff. Gone. You cannot remove the source of hostility. Police are looking for them. I can give you the phone number of the police department if you know these people. You can't take away some things. Some things that we do cannot be removed by us. And in our relationship with God, that's more like what you and I are dealing with. Paul describes it this way. That's our story, Colossians 1.21. This is what he says. Listen to what Paul writes. Broken beyond repair. He says, and you who once were alienated. Now he's talking to Christians, and he said in the past, you were alienated. Alienated. When someone comes into a country, uh, they're not a citizen. We call them illegal what? Aliens. If you're alienated, it means you are completely unrecognizable to somebody else. You do not belong. You are not a part. And he says that at one time, you and I were alienated. And then it says, and enemies in your mind. That in your whole middle process, you were an enemy of who? God. You were opposing him. And what was your method for opposing him? By wicked works, the Bible says. By wicked works, that's the method that created our mess. Yet now he has reconciled. And so before God reconciled us, 
We were alienated. We had no citizenship, no connection, no family tie. And in our mind, we were opposing God, and that was manifested through our wicked works, through our activities. What we did was opposing God. Doing what we want, when we want. I don't need some God telling me what to do. I can do life on my own. I can make my own decisions. And we created hostility through our sin that only God can take away. And so what is reconciliation? It's removing the cause of that hostility and establishing a new relationship. Now, what does this word, reconciliation, tell us about God? Now we're going to go to Romans 5. What does this word tell us about God? In Romans 5, verse 6, the apostle writes, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet perhaps for a good man, someone wouldn't even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified or made right by his blood. That's one of our words coming up later. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of the Son, so much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. There are at least three things reconciliation tells us about God. Number one, reconciliation is God acting to remove the source of the conflict. It was God's action, not your action. It was something He did. We see that in verse 6. It says Christ died for the ungodly. We see it in verse 8. Christ died for us. We didn't die for us. Verse 9 says we are justified by His blood, not our blood. Verse 10, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, not our death. And so in each situation throughout this passage, God is saying to us over and over again, I did this. I did it. And so He's the one who's acting to remove the source of the conflict. We sin, we deserve punishment, we deserve justice. He's the one acting to remove the sin that's creating the breach in the relationship. Second thing, reconciliation is God acting while we are still opposing Him. Now get your mind around that. In verse 6 it says, all this happened when we were still without strength. We had no ability to do the right thing. No capacity. If we did anything, it was more the wrong. Without strength. Verse 8, while we were still sinners. Verse 10, when we were enemies. When did God reconcile us? When we were without strength. When we were sinners. When we were enemies. You know, someone's still throwing darts at you, rocks at you, missiles at you. And you keep them. You have completely removed the source of hostility. My mind can't hardly handle that. In fact, the truth of this passage is that God reconciled us. God created this reconciliation before you were born. Before you even had a need to be reconciled. Before you did anything wrong. He reconciled to himself. And so this is incredible. Before I ever preached it, 
It's already done. It's not accomplished when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want forgiveness for my sins. I'm going to follow Christ. That's not when reconciliation happens. Reconciliation is done. God's already accomplished it. Before you preach it, before you say it, before you know it, it's done. Back in verse 10, he said, you will reconcile to God through the death of the Son, much more having been reconciled. Those are all past tense words. Reconciled, it's done. So it's God acting while we're still puzzling. I don't know about you, but I didn't come to know Christ when I was five or six years old. And some of y'all may not remember that you were a rebel, a sinner, and your heart was dark when you were five or six. I mean, when my kids were born, I remember saying to some of the early ones, when I first saw them for the first time, I said, you've been born, you need to be born again. I thought it was cute. But it was true. This little infant baby never done anything wrong. They need Christ. They need to know him. Jesus died for them. Jesus created this reconciliation before they were even born. Now, I, I didn't come to Christ when I was 17. I had 17 years to really blow it. And from my mind and my perspective, I blew it. I did a lot of things I wish I hadn't done. And I know that while all that was happening, that's when God loved me. When that was happening, that's when Christ died for me. Knowing I was going to be that way. Knowing I was going to do the things that I did. Knowing that I was going to actively, in my mind and my heart, oppose God and His will for my life. He loved me and sent Jesus to die. There's a third thing this word tells us. Reconciliation is God acting in love for us. In verse 8 it says that God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you loved Him, He loved you. Before you were worth anything in terms of righteousness or goodness or done a good thing, He loved you. When you totally messed up your life and blew it, he loved you. You know what that tells me? That tells me that salvation is more than a legal exercise. Salvation is not just about my sins being forgiven. The righteousness of God rolling over my sin. My sins being punished. They deserve the punishment of God, the wrath of God, and the eternity of hell. And justice has to be done. But salvation is not just a legal thing. It's a personal thing. He loves us. He wasn't concerned about just you being right. He wants you to know him. And he wants you to have a relationship with him. Before I go to the last question, I want to just pause on that thought because we're talking about what this says to us about God. Some of us, you, you have come to know Christ. But in the back of your mind, you always feel like he's upset with you. Now, you know what the gospel says. You know if you trust Jesus by faith, you receive him, you receive salvation, you're saved, you're, you're not going to hell, you're going to heaven, and God loves the world, he loves you, he sent his son to die for you, and you believe in him, and you know that you're saved. But in your heart of hearts, whenever anything goes wrong in your life, when anything bad happens to you, You think God's angry. And dear one, that's not true. 
If you belong to Jesus Christ this morning, there is no wrath waiting for you. There's no anger. You say, well, Pastor, there's things I still do wrong. When he's going to grow you, he, is, he will forgive that sin when you turn to him. It will affect your relationship with him. We're going to talk about that. It will affect your relationship with him. He's not angry at you. He's not ready to throw you under the bus. He's not ready to cast you aside. He's not ready to deny you as his daughter or deny you as his son. Can I just share a verse with you? This is just free. 1 Thessalonians 5 9. You know, sometimes tragedy comes into our life and we think, boy, God must have really been happy with me because some tragedy is happening. Uh, I go to the doctor and I get a, I get a death sentence from the doctor because they give me a diagnosis and it's a terminal illness and I think God must be angry with me. Somebody's at home, they get a phone call and some loved one suddenly died. They think God must be angry with me. God is not angry with you. Listen to this. First Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God did not appoint us to wrath Whatever else is happening in your life, it's not because God is angry with you. There is such a thing as discipline. He may be correcting you, but it's to train you, it's to teach you, it's to grow you. But He is not angry with you. He has not destined you to wrath. He loves you. And that word reconciliation should drive it home. So here's the third question. I worded it a little differently. Normally I would have worded it, how should reconciliation affect the way that I live? But I reworded it today. And here's how I reworded it. How can I know that I have received reconciliation? How can I know this? To answer that question, I want to go to the next verse. Verse 11 of Romans 5. Now listen to this. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I know the word received. It implies a gift. If it's received, it's not something you made. It's not something you're giving to God. It's something that's already completed, already done, and you just receive it. But it's a gift. So the question is, how, how can I know that I have received reconciliation? You may say, well, Pastor, in um, 1928, I walked down the aisle of the church. I took a pastor by the hand. I prayed a prayer. I trusted Jesus. And I received salvation when I did it. And so I received this gift. And I would say to you, yes, but that's not what's described in this verse. Salvation is included in reconciliation. But the gift of reconciliation, how do you know when you receive that? Salvation is part of it. But how do you know when you receive reconciliation? You say, well, Pastor, I know that I've been forgiven for my sins. I've received forgiveness. And that's a gift of God, isn't it? Well, yes, but how do you know you've received reconciliation? Forgiveness is part of that. Salvation is part of that. But how do you know you've received the gift of it? You say, well, Pastor, when I trusted Jesus, Jesus gave me his righteousness. And I am clean before God. Well, that's true. That's a gift. That's a gift that came with reconciliation. That's not the gift of reconciliation. Well, Pastor, I know because I trusted Jesus, I've escaped hell, and I'm headed to heaven. Well, dear one, that's included in reconciliation. But how do you know when you receive the gift of reconciliation? Those things are just part of the wrapping. 
That's not the gift of reconciliation. So what, how do I know when I received it? Well, first of all, look at the first part of verse 11. What has happened? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God. Look at that phrase. We also rejoice in God. That's what is happening in verse 11. He's writing to Christians. I already say, he says, we also rejoice in God. Literally, that is, we are also rejoicing in God. It is present tense. It is an ongoing, continuous activity. If you talk to the Christians in Rome, one of the defining marks of them, these, these individuals, these men and women, is that they were rejoicing in God. They weren't talking about their favorite football team. They weren't talking about their success at work. They weren't talking about how wonderful their new house was or whatever else that we get preoccupied with in life. They were rejoicing in God. That's what was happening. Now, how is that possible? Well, if you keep reading the verse, he tells us. We also rejoice in God through, it's possible, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And that word received there, receiving this gift of reconciliation, is a single decisive act. There are days when you are reconciled to God and other days when you're not reconciled to God. When you trust Christ and you receive His reconciliation, it is a single decisive moment in your life. And it is yours. So the question becomes, how can I know that I have received reconciliation? Well, just reverse the, the verse out. Hang with me. Just reverse it out. How can I know when I receive reconciliation? I receive reconciliation when I am rejoicing in God. It's all about a relationship. You see, some people, when you talk to them about Christianity, you talk to them about their relationship with God, they don't talk about their relationship with God. They say, I've been saved. My sins have been forgiven. I've been made righteous in the sight of God. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. They don't talk about God. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. A relationship with Him. He becomes precious to you. You can't wait to be with Him. And through your day, you're talking to Him, you're thinking about Him. It is a love affair. It is a relationship. You've been reconciled to Him. And reconciliation is all about that. Everything else is extra. When you have Jesus, you have eternal life. When you have Jesus, you have forgiveness. When you have Jesus, you have all those other things. How do I know when, I, when I've been reconciled? How do I know when it's really sunk in? How do I know when it's really in my brain, really in my heart? I rejoice in God. I rejoice in Him. And so this last statement is this way. It's answering the question, how can I know that I receive reconciliation? Reconciled people enjoy God in a deeply satisfying relationship with Him. They enjoy God in a deeply satisfying relationship with Him. Jesus. 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 The story that came to mind as I think about talking about reconciliation on Father's Day is the story of the prodigal son.
when he asked his dad for his share of the inheritance, something you only get when your father dies. He was saying, you are as good to me, father, as dead. I just want your money. They gave him the inheritance. He leaves. Blows it all, spins it all, lives in a way that would have embarrassed his father, goes out into the wild places, has all of these so-called friends, has a big party all the time in life. He starts experiencing difficulty. Trouble comes into his life. He loses everything he's got, loses his money, loses his friends, comes to that pig pen experience where he's sitting in his own mess that he's created. It's the best job he can get, and he's sitting in that mess, and he's thinking about his dad. And when I was at home, life was better than this. A relationship with my dad is better than this. I would rather be reconciled with my dad as the lowest servant in his house than sit here in this pig pen. And so he gets up and he brushes off the mud and he begins going home and he's thinking as he's going home, I'm just, I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm just going to say, can I come home? Can I be like a servant? Can I live in the servant's quarters? Can I live out there with the animals even? But I just want to be back in this relationship with you. Meanwhile, the father, we know this is true. Every day that that son was gone, the father was ready to take him back. He went out every day and he stood and he watched for the son to come home. He wasn't thinking about all the terrible things the son has done. It wasn't about that. He loved his son. And he wanted his son to come home. One day in the distance, he sees a figure out on the dusty hillside coming his way. He's thinking, can it be? Can it be? And he realizes it's his son. And the Bible says he runs to his son. His son collapses at his father's feet. He has his speech all prepared. He knows that he's offended the father. He's created hostility between him and the father. He was hostile towards the father. I don't care about you. He remembers what he did. He remembers what he said. He's not worthy of anything. He doesn't deserve anything. He can't undo what he's done. He spent all the money. He can't give it back. He can't roll back the clock. There before his father, he says, just let me be a slave in your house. The father doesn't care what he's done. Why? Because he's already reconciled the son. He's already wiped it away. He's already taken everything out of the way. There are gifts involved. He gets new clothes. He gets washed up. There's a fatted calf that's killed. All kinds of things. Yeah, he's got salvation, forgiveness, righteousness. He's out of hell. He's going to heaven. He's out of the pig pen. He's home. All of that's available to him. But you know what's most precious? The father says, my son who was lost has been found. Amen. That's where your father is right now in relationship to you. If you're a Christian, you've already been reconciled. You don't have to prove anything. Everything necessary to have a relationship with the father has already been accomplished by the father. That reconciliation that's already done, already complete, is yours if you receive it by faith. Believe that he waits for you. Believe that he watches for you. Believe he's done everything necessary to remove the hostility between you and him. 
Now, that reconciliation is finished, but it's not yours until you receive it by faith. 